Thanks very much. Just a couple of uh, resources. I know this has been uh, mentioned before, but there's a great book you can order because this is the last copy and it's mine. I've read this. Um, it's uh, Echoes in Exodus by Alistair J. Roberts and Andrew Wilson. And it's a fabulous thing you can just read through, but actually it shows how the story of the Exodus comes up again, 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 and again throughout the Bible. Ultimately, it is the story that underpins the life of Jesus. It's what he thought his life was fulfilling. So to understand Jesus better, um, it's worth uh, understanding the story of the Exodus. And um, although the passage I've got today covers the Ten Commandments, um, I'm not actually going to go through each in turn. And I can recommend a wonderful series over at King's Church Eastbourne, um, particularly uh, the first couple by Andrew Wilson and Graham Marsh, uh, setting out the, the, the Ten Commandments. I've found that uh, insightful, challenging, and uh, really beneficial. So that's a couple of resources for you if you have been stirred by what God's been saying through people to us already and anything I say. Okay, I'm going to pray just quickly for us and for myself. As I pray for you, please in your head pray for me. I know I need it. Father God, we live in an uh, increasingly... Uh, a culture that is deeply entrenched in ungodly patterns of thought and ways of thinking. And we know that we are all uh, affected by that. It surrounds us. It's pumped into us every day. And so we don't like laws and rules. We don't want to be fearful of anything. We're told that we are like mini-gods. And that's so far from the truth. I ask today, would you wash us, wash us with your word and make our minds <laughs> fruitful and active for you so it can impact our hearts. Amen. Fabulous. Okay, so we've been doing a series through the first half of the book of Exodus. And today is our last session on that series. So hopefully I'm going to briefly catch you up to where we're at focusing on the giving of the law and then just tip my hat to what the rest of the book's about. Now, the title of this is The Giving of the Law or the subtitle would be Rescued for Relationship. Rescued for Relationship. And that's what we've been singing about, isn't it? I'm rescued. I'm rescued. It's great. Wonderful. Thank you. What for? For a relationship. A relationship with someone as... Uh, we had a contribution this morning. Thank you, you remained faithful to me. Not because of anything I've done. In fact, I've messed up. But you've always been there. You've always been faithful. Because he doesn't just rescue us and then say, out you go, see how you do. Or hope they make it. They, they don't look. He rescues you for a, a relationship where he's committed to you. And as we come into Exodus, and I've been studying it, there's two things, big picture-wise, that have stood out to me. And if you remember the first talk we had, I think Andrew mentioned how there's this verse where it says the people of Israel have multiplied greatly, filled the land. And it, it's an echo back to Genesis and the promise where God says, I create human beings. I create us and I want you to prosper. I want you to grow. I want you to fill the land. I'm for you. I'm like a good father that doesn't want to keep you trapped and pushed down. But I want you to be able to explore and discover and be fruitful and wise and multiply. 
So there's the promise of God and the fruitfulness of God we see in Exodus. But there's also this punishment of sin. So these two things come. God says, yes, go human beings, go my people. And then there's this thing called sin. And God says, I hate, I hate I hate sin. It offends me. It damages people. It destroys relationships. I am opposed to that. Every day, every time, everywhere, in every person. I am opposed to what it does. So big picture in Exodus, the promise of God is being fulfilled as they are multiplying and being fruitful, even despite opposition. But then there is This problem of sin that keeps popping up, keeps popping up. That's the big picture. So, in our series, we looked at the confrontation between God and Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the most wicked person in the Bible so far. And we see that God is utterly opposed to him. In Exodus 7, verse 16, it says, I can't see this very well with the lights, but we'll do the best we can. It says, uh, verse 16, says to Moses, and you shall go into Pharaoh and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to tell you, let my, my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far, you have not obeyed. Chapter 8, verse 1 to 20, this is a day of freedom, isn't it? This is a day of liberation. 8, it says, verse 1 and verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go. They'll come and serve me. Otherwise, there's going to be punishment. I'm going to come and fight against you. Verse 20, he says, Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Chapter 9, verses 1 again, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go. Do you know what? He still says that this morning, doesn't he? He still says that today. Let my people go people go. Sin, things that enslave you, patterns of behaviour, things you've inherited. God comes and he says, you're mine. Let my people go. Whatever power, whatever authority, whatever thing that seeks to dominate, yes, it can take time. Yes, it can be painful. But this is the heart of God to his people. Let my people go. Not because of who you are, what you've done, because you're mine. So there's been this massive confrontation between the king of the earth and this king called Pharaoh. And we know what happens. The power of the evil uh, king is destroyed. Then there's a celebration, which is what we've been doing this morning in chapter 15. As they come through the waters and they make it through the waters uh, and then the waters come back and destroy the power of Egypt. Reading around this, you know, I, I think it's true to say that Egypt never, ever quite regained the same place afterwards. God said, you were wicked to my people. You didn't listen to me. And he breaks their power. He says, you will never do this again. Chapter 15. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider have been thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength. 
The Lord is my strength. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And later on it says, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. But you blew your wind and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. And it says at the end, the Lord will reign forever and ever. We are a people who celebrate, aren't we? We celebrate the freedom that God has brought us. Then, last week, Sam brought us to just before the, ver- the chapters I'm going to talk on, there came complaining. <laughs> there came grumbling and moaning. These people that were rescued, they'd been in slavery. They'd been told when to rise, when to sit, when to go out, when to come back. Yes, sir. No, sir. Three bags full, sir. They were all over the place. When something came, they had no water. Whoa! Doesn't, does he care for us? What does he? And then when he comes through, they celebrate again. They're all over the place. The rescue is not complete. Just because you've committed to Jesus and you, you're, you think, I'm, I'm in him. He's paid for my sin. The rescue is not complete. He doesn't leave you just to be as, uh, as trapped as before in the same things. To, to not know, well, how do I live? I've got no idea. I'm just as daft as I was before. I've got no instructions. How do I follow this life? He doesn't leave you like that. And that's where we come to now. Hands up who likes camping. Hands up who hates camping. Anyone in the middle? Oh, there's, there's a few in the middle. But on the whole, camping's Marmite, isn't it? Love it or hate it. I tell you what, we're going to read about a camping experience you'd never forget. If you'd been on this camping trip, you'd know it. You'd tell your kids about it. You tell your grandkids about it probably every time they came for dinner. Let's read chapter 19. It's quite a long passage, so get yourself comfortable. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They had set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There the people of Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, we heard about that just now, All peoples, you shall be, this is the point, if you keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession amongst all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, but you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him. And all the people together answered and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak to you, that they may believe you forever. Who knows that when you're camping, thick cloud ain't good? Nobody looks forward to thick cloud when you're camping. These people had just seen God destroy the power 
of the Egyptians, and now he's coming to them in a thick cloud. I wonder what they thought about that. When Moses told the words to the people, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down onto Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, I imagine with arrows. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. Got my attention now. Kids, we're camping. I know there's a lot of freedom and you're running about, but trust me, tomorrow, when you see the thick cloud, stay with mum and dad. Stay in the tent. Don't go near the mountain. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments and he said to the people, be ready for the third day and and avoid sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. (laughs) Come on, are you sure? (laughs) Have you seen? Have you heard? Yes, it's all right, come on. No, 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 you told us if we touch the mountain. No, come on, it's okay. Now, Mount Sinai, he brought the people out to take their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And at the sound of the trumpet, as it grew louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Glad it wasn't me. You go, Moses. You represent us. Suddenly they're really really pleased with God's choice of leader, aren't they? You're okay. Just let us know when you come back. We'll hang about here, look after the kids, you know. And God spoke. um, We'll get to them. says... um, And the Lord said to Moses, he gets to the top, go down and warn the people. He's just got there and God says, go back down and warn the people, lest they they break out again, lest they touch the mountain and I break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, Lord, the people cannot come up the mountain for you warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And we did that. And the Lord said to him, nope, go back down. And bring up Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. That's the first chapter. Up the mountain, down the mountain. Don't touch, don't go near. Reminding, if God wanted to get their attention, he's got it, isn't he? That would get your attention, wouldn't it? So surely what's to follow is deadly serious. Surely what's to follow, God means it. God spoke all these words saying, 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything in the heaven above or earth beneath or that's under the water or under the earth. You shall not bow down to them. You shall not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of fathers on their children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing my steadfast love to thousands of generations, to those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not take the Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold you guiltless if you take his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you work and do all your work, but the seventh is a, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you don't do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servants or your female servants or your livestock or the foreigner amongst you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and rested on the seventh. And the Lord blessed it and made it holy. Honour your father and mother, that your days may be long that in the land the Lord's giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. You shall not covet, overly desire and want your neighbour's house, wife, servant, ox, donkey, or anything that is your neighbour's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak, otherwise we'll die. Moses said, don't fear. For God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, so that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Wow. It's true, isn't it? If you were on that camping trip, you would never forget it. And I bet you would, I'm taking notes. I'm writing this down. God means business here. We've got to live like this. Kids, pay attention. That's, that's what would be going on in my house. So what's happening here? Rescued for relationship. God's brought them out. Now he's going to give them instructions on how things work in his kingdom. How things are arranged. You see, in the second half of the book, what's going to happen is this God who's destroyed the power of the Egyptians, who's rescued them, says, I'm not just going to be up a mountain. I'm going to come and live with you. I'm going to move in. Now, if you should avoid sin when God's far off, how much more should you avoid sin if he comes and dwells within? He's going to be right there. He's going to know everything. He's going to be amongst you. So God wants to arrange it. So the society that he dwells within flourishes. And that rather than judgment, his blessing can come. He wants the promise of blessing and his presence being with them to cause life and fruitfulness and everyone to be included and no one to be missed out and selfishness to be driven out rather than discipline, judgment, punishment. That's the purpose of the law. So, in chapter 19, verse 4 to 6, it says, 
If you will obey, you'll be my treasured possession. All the earth's mine, but you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They've been enslaved to Pharaoh. They've been told to make bricks without straw. They get what they're given and nothing more. And suddenly the king of the universe comes and says, how about we make a deal here? All on my terms. But if you agree, you'll be my treasured possession in all the earth. You'll be for me a kingdom of priests. Sign me up. A few days ago, I had nothing. It was yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir. Now I'm going to become your treasured possession. I'm going to become a priest of God. So I'm going to be able to minister to others. I'm not only going to please you, but I'm going to be a blessing to other people. Absolutely. No wonder they signed up. No wonder they were quick to say, we'll do all you say, Lord. And isn't it like that when we become Christians? When you realize, man, my life doesn't measure up to my own standards, let alone God. I'm not as good as I thought I was. In fact, there's stuff wrong in my life and I'm powerless to deal with it or pay for it. And one day I'm going to meet God and he says, here's a deal. How about I come and die for you? How about my son pays for it? How about you accept his sacrifice on your behalf and you'll be my treasured possession and you'll be a kingdom of priests so you'll have purpose and dignity to spread my kingdom throughout the earth, bringing other people to me. And we sign up, don't we? All I have is yours. Of course we do. That's how you become a Christian. You realise Jesus died for you. He's God's sacrificial lamb that takes away sin if you put your trust in him. You become part of his people. You have purpose and dignity. But then we need to know how to live, don't we? Who's struggled in their Christian life from time to time? Who realised that actually, thank you for your honesty, who realised that actually, when I signed up and thought, yes, this is amazing, very soon afterwards I found, ah, this is difficult, I'm struggling, I, don't, I need some help. And that's where the law comes in. So my question is this, who is the law for? Because we like to think, oh, the law's for sinners, isn't it? It says in Timothy, the law is for the lawless. I'm... F- full of grace now. No, the law is for God's people. It says in chapter 19, verse 4, you yourselves saw how I defeated the Egyptians, the power that was against you, and have bore you on eagles' wings. If you like Lord of the Rings, you know a bit what that means. When the eagle comes, it means a rescue that's from outside, that's beyond you. The eagles come, they lift you above the trouble and they take you far away from it. The eagles are coming, we're going to be rescued. This overwhelming power will not destroy us. They've been rescued. Chapter 20, verse 1. I am the Lord your, verse 2, sorry. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. These are rescued people. They've been ransomed by the blood of the lamb. They've been baptised into Moses through the water. They've been led by the Spirit of God, by the presence of God. These are God's people. The law is not for the unrescued, it's for the rescued. Oh, but I thought when you become a Christian, you can just live how you like. No, because God's going to come and dwell amongst you. He wants you to flourish and he doesn't want sin to wreck this relationship you're in. He doesn't want to have to come and discipline you and deal with it and do all of that stuff overly. He wants you to be free and flourished. Therefore, he provides a way of living. That's why nine of the ten commandments reappear in the New Testament. And the Sabbath is there, but it's expanded and changed to suit the people of God. God in the New Testament. 
It doesn't go away. Jesus says not the least little bit of it disappears until it's all fulfilled. What happens when you become a Christian is God comes not dwelling in a tent. He comes and lives in you. And his love fills you. And suddenly you find, oh, there's a new power in me. We were singing about, there's a new, I want to respond. God's law, it's fulfilled without me even thinking about it. Because I love him. And as I spend time with it, it causes me to love people. So the law shows us how to live. It's for us. Anti-law is antinomianism. It's like Chuck Law's out. I worked with uh, quite a few asylum seekers and refugees uh, over the last few years. And they often have to flee lawless states. And if you said to them, we'll rescue you and we're going to take you somewhere else with no rules, with no laws, they would say, no, thank you. Had that disaster. What they want is they want to get often to somewhere in Europe or America. They want to get somewhere where there's a good rule of law. I want a rule of law and I want it enforced. I don't just want it up there. I want it enforced because then I'll be safe. Then I know my children will be safe. Then I can be educated. No law would make God actually hideous because he'd rescue you. He'd bring you out and he'd just leave you on your own at the the mercy and whim of everything. He, He brings parameters and says, live like this. Follow this and you'll really live. You'll flourish. Ignore this and A, it will ruin you. But B, you will have my displeasure even though it never touches my love for you. So who's it for? The law is for us. What does it cover? It covers all of life. Natalie gave me this booklet. And later on, the law gets expanded. And it covers finance and the economy. It covers how to handle property. It covers family relationships. It it covers how you should govern. It covers that work and rest for everybody. It covers how to be a community. It covers justice and it covers welfare. It covers those that are born here. It covers the, the foreigner who comes in and moves here. It is an amazing, an amazing blueprint for human flourishing in community. No wonder David says, oh, blessed is the one who doesn't listen to what the world's got to say, but meditates on the law day and night. Whatever they do prospers. Whatever, if you're not prospering, that doesn't mean if you're loaded, but if your life's increasingly getting into trouble and mess, if it's an area of your life that's not just not working and you know it's not, you probably haven't opened God's law, God's word and found out, fathers, don't exacerbate your children. Uh, give generously rather than be tight. Steward what you've got. Amongst you, there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality. We don't follow this to earn his approval. We follow this because it's his beautiful blueprint for human flourishing and it pleases him. As part of the food bank, um, I had the privilege along with uh, a lady who leads one of the other churches in the town of delivering some food to some very vulnerable ladies. And uh, when one of them came in on the first week, she got introduced to me. I said, hi, I'm John, and uh, this is a church, and I'm a Christian. And the person that had bought her was a Christian. And this woman said this, wow. One woman for one man. I said, yes. 
until death do you part. She said, wow, Christians, basically I've heard about this. You guys, a woman only has one man. Because where they come from, they get passed from pillar to post. They're like property. She'd been trafficked. And she said, I've heard of you Christians. If you find a man, he's faithful. And there's only one. There's only one. That's when they look at the church. This is the reason for the rules. They should, people that suffer abuse and neglect should find, if I find a Christian place, if I find a Christian community, marriage will be honoured. There'll be no lying. I can trust what they say. They won't steal from me. They're not after stuff. This is the point of the law. When people see us, they should find hope like this woman did. And behind that, they should find the God of hope. King David was so overwhelmed by the law. When you read Psalm 119, he says, my soul delights. And I'm thinking, really, David? It's a list of rules. My, I find joy in, but it talks about how to deal with boils and like a health care. It's like, really, David? He's like, yes, it's amazing because David got this. When it talks about taking care of the poor, there's a God who cares for the poor. When it talks about the courts should be just, there's a God of justice. When it talks about uh, being kind and welcoming the foreign and the stranger, there's a God who's for everybody, not just for one certain type or person. Behind this wonderful law is this wonderful God. The law points to God. It points to God. So what does it cover? Final couple of points, quick. It's a, it's a fully comprehensive, not a third-party deal. It's a fully comprehensive, not a third-party deal. It covers every aspect of your life. If you're not reading this, I'm daft enough with it. I make enough mistakes with it. If you're not reading this and finding out how to be a good boss, a good uh, employee, a good husband, wife, how to live single, how to live married, how to handle illness, how to pray for health. If you're not reading this, please see me afterwards. I'd love to know how you do it. It's God's gift of life to us. We don't just celebrate being saved. We dig in and say, how do I live? Your grace gift of the rules, of the parameters set out, is a grace gift to me. Why obey, finally? Well, you can read the Ten Commandments in a different way. You shall do this, you shall do that. You can read it like this. If you follow him with all of your heart and you pursue him, you shall not have any other gods. It'll be just him. You won't be caught out by idols because you'll be captivated with him. You won't take his name in vain because you'll be besotted with it. Jesus, the lover of my soul. You won't dishonor your mother and father because however rotten they may have been or good, however, I make loads of mistakes, you'll know that they were meant, that the idea of parents to children was meant to be God's blessing, even if it goes wrong. We should be a community that as people get older, we distinguish ourselves in how we care, how we honour, how we invite and involve and use. You will not murder. Jesus says you, you'll even be able to deal with anger in your heart. You won't commit adultery. In fact, there won't even be a hint of sexual immorality because you'll know that by not being committed to the one you made promises to, you offend him who you love even more. You won't lie because it will just be a bad taste in your mouth. You'll be, speak the truth in love. And you won't envy and want everyone else's stuff because you'll realise 
I'm his treasured possession. I'm part of a kingdom of priests. So, maybe you never thought about the law like that. I never used to. But I've found great joy in reading the law and realising he didn't just rescue me, but he wanted a relationship. And he didn't leave me to work that out on my own. But he's provided everything I need for life and godliness. What a saviour. Great. Shall we have the band up, please, if that's okay?